0: My special guest today is a superb actor who stood front and centre of two dramatic changes in style and format for The Bill. He's also graced many of our most iconic television programmes and added his magic to the world of Harry Potter on stage. He's a published author and screenwriter. and I'm absolutely delighted to be talking to him today. Ladies and gents worldwide, Cullen is back. Make some noise for the mighty Jed Simmons. Jed, welcome to The Bill podcast
1: thanks very much for
0: having me we're sort of coming out of this strange old year and a half of of lockdown it's obviously damaged the creative industry in so many sectors you you've managed to actually get some some work in that time with an upcoming performance in Vera so w- was that during sort of Covid restrictions. What was that production like? And- uh, yeah, it
1: was right in in the middle of uh, of Covid, so I, I filmed it uh, first week of October last year. Okay. Yeah, it was all very uh, it was all done very properly. Like the, the Saturday before, I went up to Newcastle where they filmed it. I had to have a, a Covid test done at home by a uh, you know somebody who administers them professionally, uh, and then they took me up to Newcastle the following Friday. I had to have another Covid test on the Saturday morning. I was in isolation in a hotel for about four days. It was four days before I went on set. Uh, so to completely on my own. Uh, and then eventually got out on set. And obviously there was all sorts of protocols in place on set. You know, the whole two-meter rule and obviously wearing masks and um, uh, washing hands and all that sort of stuff. So uh, I was slightly bubbled with an actress who was playing my wife, so we could get within two metres of each other. But for instance, when I was doing scenes with, with Brenda Blethyn and um, any of the other actors who were working in our little bubble, we had to maintain that two metre minimum distance. So it's interesting, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I know a lot of... Uh, I've just been working with an actor in and he said no one's allowed to get within two metres of each other, either on set or off set. They're completely adhering to the two metre rule, so yeah.
0: How have you and your family kept yourself going over the last 18 months, you know, aside from getting a nice gig on Vera?
1: I mean, for me personally, it's it's not been that, you know, that much of a, a difference, you know, because, you know, I pick up bits and pieces of work normally here and there. And I've, I've managed to do that through um, since the lockdown started. So I've done some online stuff and, um, I've done another couple of little video shoots um, for training companies that I work for and so forth. I've just done a pop video last week. So bits and bobs. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've, I always keep up with doing, you know, little writing projects. So I've kind of been working on that. The hardest thing was, was probably from, uh, for me was um, my mum sadly died the December before the COVID outbreak, uh, leaving my dad behind. And of course, uh, then he was for a long period of time completely on his own. Uh, and he's up in Birmingham, so I couldn't travel up to see him. I've got brothers nearby who are at least able to go and, you know, take him shopping and stuff like that. So he couldn't really get out much because he's 90 now. But um, so that was the toughest thing. Yeah, not being able to see my dad. Um, but obviously now restrictions have been eased. You know, I'm up there sort of every week or every couple of weeks. and sort of take him out for lunch and stuff so that's good so uh, I think compared to a lot of people you know because we don't have kids who you know all the home teaching and stuff that a lot of people have had to go through and all that sort of stuff we haven't had that so it hasn't it hasn't affected us as bad as I know a lot of people have had it so um
0: yeah oh I hope your dad's okay
1: yeah he's, he's, he's getting better yeah he's, he's cool yeah and so the fact that we can all go and see him now so that that's great you know
0: yeah I'd love to ask about Harry Potter. Take us behind the scenes of a of a massive production on the West End. You know, what what was that like from your perspective?
1: A lot of it was great. I mean, basically, uh, so I was in the second year cast, so I wasn't part of the, the cast that, um, you know, helped develop the original story. So I was in the ensemble, which meant that I was on stage a lot of the time, just helping, you know, being part of big movement sections and being in crowds or so on. But I got to unstudy some fabulous characters and I went on loads of times. I played... Uh, Hagrid and the Sorting Hat was one track that uh, I had, and then another one was um, Vernon and Snape and Voldemort. Oh, so wow. I found those characters loads of times. So that was great. That was. Um... I really enjoyed, you know, really enjoyed having a crack at those. And it's just wonderful being part of such a massive show that you just know is just giving so much pleasure to, you know, huge audiences. You know, and the whole team there was fantastic. You know, we, we all got on really well, and um, you know, both the actors and and the crew behind the scenes as well. So, yeah, it was, it was a it was a great job to have. Absolutely, yeah.
0: How long was that gig
1: for you? Uh, so two months rehearsal and then a year of performing. Yeah, so it's fourteen month contract, but yeah, it was great fun.
0: Well, how did your your journey begin? Let's let's go back and what what, what where did the sort of acting bug first come from? And am, am I right that you you're a, a fan of cinema growing up? And so take us back to your sort of childhood and you know your your earliest memories of thinking about acting.
1: I think a big thing. But for me as I remember as a kid it was like week Sunday afternoons got like because I got three brothers and a sister so you know we'd have a big Sunday lunch maybe go out the park and play for a bit but then we'd come back and kind of lying in front of the fire and watching films on telly you know old black and white classics so you know I always loved all that never at that stage really thought of myself as getting involved in it I played Bob Cratchit in the junior school production of um, Christmas Carol uh, so that would have been about nine. 1971 I suppose something like that and then again didn't really do anything I think I was in a, in a house play at school when about the third or fourth year I don't I don't remember much about that but then uh, the year I was taking my A-levels the English teacher asked if I would be in the school play uh, they're doing total Toad hall normally A-level students weren't allowed because we're supposed to be concentrating on our on our um, on our A-levels obviously but um, it was only a small role the headmaster or whoever's in charge said okay you can do it and I think it got me involved because I was just a bit of a, a class joker, really. And, uh, and so I played the washerwoman in toe to Toad Hall. Uh, and basically I just did an impersonation of, of Les Dawson doing a female impersonation. So lots of bosom lifting and gurning and stuff. Uh, and uh, sort of got great re- reaction from the audience. And then when I left school, I went to America for a couple of months with a friend touring around and I, I got my results while I was there. And I hadn't really thought about what to do next. We were with some some people we'd met, and when I got the results, I sort of said, "Oh, you know, I've got these not bad results." I said, "What are you going to do?" And I said, "Oh, I don't know. I might do acting." So I applied to a couple. Of, I didn't know anything about drama schools at that time, so I'd, I applied to a couple of universities to do acting courses. Got a couple of interviews. Didn't get on. I mean, I'd had like I said, like pretty, pretty much no experience before then. So, so kind of forgot it, and then went to college and did a degree. And while I was at college, I did a couple of plays, and then went to Australia for a year. When I came back from Australia, a local Amdram group to where I went to college in Warsaw uh, approached me to play a part in a play that they were doing. And so I went and joined that. And that was really what really got the ball rolling. So I did about four plays for them in a year. And in that time, my sister and my mum bought me some books about acting. And I literally found out then about drama schools. At the time, I was doing all sorts of kind of rubbish jobs, like working on building sites and in factories and stuff. I thought, well, you know, this isn't great, so why not apply? So I applied got on a one-year postgraduate course at East 15 acting school in 1987. And that was the start
0: of it. Yeah. Oh, well, um, let's chat Australia, because there's so many of the bills, obviously, massive over there. And there's so many of the uh, podcast audience Tune in from Australia. So, uh,
1: Lucy, my my first wife and I, we, we you know we we done a bit of traveling around Europe, uh, and I've got family in Australia and uncle and aunt both sadly now passed away, but we've got lots of cousins over there as well. So, it seemed like a you know a good place to go because we'd have you know someone to sort of catch us when we landed, as it were, and, and then take it from there. But we went with the intention of of probably kind of moving around the country and trying to pick up you know seasonal work, fruit picking or something like that. But we ended up in Sydney after about the first week. And I just applied for a couple of jobs and I got, apart from acting, one of my two favorite ever jobs. And that was working for the Australian Blood Transfusion Service, doing donor recruitment and PR work. It was just a great job. I was kind of, I was kind of my own boss. I had to report to the director of, of, of the branch of the um, blood bank that I was working at in, in Parramatta in West Sydney. But it was great. And um, it was an interesting time because it's when the whole AIDS um, situation was blowing up across the world. And blood donations were going down because there was a lot of people uh, worried that they were going to catch uh, AIDS or HIV from, from giving blood. So it's a challenging time going out into workplaces and convincing people to donate blood. But anyway, we, we, I did a sort of decent job of it, I think. So that was on a six month contract for uh, a woman who was off on maternity leave they did offer me full time because she didn't want to come back full time. She wanted to go and work part time in another branch. So they said to me, look, we can organize you to have like citizenship if you want and stay here and work. But, but we've literally only gone for a year. It's a long way to be away from home. So, so I left. And then we just spent five months driving around in a van with a mattress in the back. And we saw sort of most of it. We didn't go into Western Australia, but we saw a lot of the rest of Australia, all, all the Eastern and central States um, and had a great time. And, uh, I think we were somewhere like in, somewhere in northern Queensland, just talking about family and being in contact. And we're on a campsite and word got around about this phone box. And this phone box, if you put like a couple of coins in, they just dropped out the bottom. You could keep rotating them so you could ring home. There used to be a queue of people from the campsite who used this one phone box. So, you could, so yeah, so that, that was a good one. But, uh, but other than that, yeah, it was letters. I mean, my, my uncle would receive letters for us from from the UK, and then we'd let him know where we were going to be in a few weeks. We'd give him a quick call. And so he'd forward all our letters to a post restaurant in some post post office. We stayed in touch with family that way. But uh, yeah, it was. It was um, we're having such a great time. It was obviously, you know, a bit of a wrench being away from family, but uh, we had a great time. So, um, what an adventure! Know.
0: And I mean, you mentioned Les Dawson. Like, were, were they ever kind of hero? Did you have heroes growing up or people who inspired you to to want to perform? Well,
1: <laughs> my, my, my ideal career path would have been professional footballer, turning into a bit of a singer. Have a bit of a singing career and then and then go on and be an actor. So I mean, all I mean for me, some of my biggest heroes were footballers. So anyone who played for West Brom, basically, you know. But obviously, the greats when I was growing up were people like George Best. You know, watching George Best and all the flamboyant players in the seventies. You know, like Rodney Marsh and um, Stan Bowles, people like that. So uh, so I love those and yeah, a lot of singers. But in terms of actors probably I probably didn't focus on one particular actor I don't think until I started getting more involved in it and obviously then you're looking at you know people like Daniel Day-Lewis and people like that you know know, in my my dreams but uh yeah you know people like that so. Wow
0: and and how about turning professional what was the process and how tough was it to get I'm guessing you had to earn an equity card and all that sort of stuff so what, what was the process like there?
1: Yes uh in my second term at drama school, we were supposed to be doing, I forget what it was now, something quite highbrow. And because of a mistake my drama school had made with a booking for a theatre up in Leeds, because they had a professional company and there was a mistake with the booking, so they needed to film this slot. So they sent my group up there, the, the postgraduates, who was, I think it was 13 or 14 of us, to do a musical show and a melodrama, which two two of our, two or three of our, our group wrote this little melodrama. But we went up there and did all these musical songs, which wasn't what we wanted to do at all. We were, we were a bit miffed about it, but actually it paid off because four of us put together a little troupe and we went out and did musical show in old people's homes, working men's clubs, pubs, and that's how we got our equity card. Yeah, so we had to go out and do all these contracts. So much as at the time we did the show through gritted teeth, it, it paid off in the end. So and it was great fun to do actually. We, we used to love doing it. So yeah. So that's how I got my card. And then like yeah, all of my first two or three years, I don't think I got paid a penny for any of the jobs I did. It was all you know fringe theatre or low paid stuff or student films, things like that. I can't remember what my first actually. I think my first paid. It wasn't even a full equity contract, but close. I did a production of The Little Prince for Solent People's Theatre, which was like a community sort of tour around, you know, sort of village halls and sports centres and stuff in in the kind of Hampshire area. Um, and that was that was a, a great show to do. It was great fun, and you know, and I'm still in touch with a couple of the guys from that show. We we met about three, two or three weeks ago. So that oh, was wow, yeah, that was great.
0: Did you move to London and like base yourself in London, or?
1: Yeah. So I moved down to go to drama school. So that was in 87. So I finished in 88 and I stayed down. In that year, Lucy and I decided we were going to split up um, because, you know, obviously my career was going to take me away from Birmingham and she was still based there. Uh, You know, we're still great friends. We're in touch all the time. She lives down in Cornwall now, but it was just one of those things we got... Married very young and, uh, you know, hadn't really worked out what we were going to do with our lives. So, so, yeah, I stayed down in London. Initially, a couple of my old schoolmates had a flat, so I lived with them for the first couple of years. Uh, and then, yeah, eventually sort of struck out on my own and, uh, yeah, lived in various flat shares and so on and um, pursued the career down here, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think I'm right that a guess part in the bill was your first telly.
1: My first telly was a kids' show called Time Busters. Oh, which is, wow! Which isn't on my CV, it's not on my IMDb, I don't think either. Um, and that was, um, it's kind of like a, a game show for kids, and they had to interact with actors playing different characters. So I played a couple of different characters. I played a like an Inspector Lestrade type character, but he was the baddie, he had a twirly mustache, and all that sort of stuff. Oh, so, cool. it, the 19th century, and then I played a Bow Street runner in another one, uh, so whatever century that is. So I did two episodes of that. So that was my first, and then my first kind of, in inverted commas, serious role, Arthur Fowler in EastEnders was in prison. And I was his his prison guard.
0: He's a phenomenal actor, Bill Treacher, isn't he? Lovely
1: to work with, yeah. I I, I distinctly remember He, He had a scene coming up. And I remember, like, um, one of the things the makeup ladies came up to him because it was going to be an emotional scene. And actor's secrets here now, sometimes, if, you know, they want to see tears. Not all actors can produce tears. They use something called a tear stick. So it literally makes your eyes smart and creates tears. And this makeup lady said to Bill, Bill, are you going to need the, um, the tear stick? And he went, No, I don't. Th- I think I'll be all right. And I was able to watch the scene and just, oh, this, he was in this prison cell all on his own and just all this emotion came out of him. He was phenomenal. Yeah, he was terrific at
0: You had like three all very different guest parts in The Bill as well. So, I mean, what, what are your memories of... Had had you ever seen The Bill before you got a, a guest part in it?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know, I, I wouldn't say I was a regular viewer, but it's that sort of show that, again, because it was great in those days, it was all, you know, one episode was one storyline or two little storylines intertwined. So, you know, it's something you might watch before you went out for the evening and stuff. So yeah, I definitely had seen it, yeah. Yeah, I also thought it was really good as well. Uh so the first one, I can't remember much about it. I know I played a dad of a kid who was being interviewed for something, I can't remember. The second one I do remember, that was the where I played the guy who was running the dog fighting ring. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. A brilliant sort of like uh grand theft auto suit they put you in, you know, like proper like Proper villain set piece, you know, up on a roof. You had, I think, a fight with Trudy and Lolita Chakrabarty. And, yeah. yeah,
1: and it was great because obviously his he's, he's comeuppance was he was caught by the dogs, making his living out of mistreating dogs, and then he got caught by the dogs at the end, so that was great. And then the other one was, uh, yeah, I played this kind of slightly rough northern, black, and, and basically the, the, the director just said he wanted, because he, he, he wanted to base it on some guy who used to bully him at school, who had red hair, not so red anymore as you can see. <laughs> But so he wanted a red-haired actor, so so that kind of narrowed the field up, down a bit. And he, he was from somewhere in the Yorkshire area, so I, I nicked... A, I don't know if there's an actor called Steve Ramsden. I think he might have finished now, but Steve was a mate of mine, so I nicked Steve's accent. And...
0: Do you think those, you know, nice sort of pretty regular guest parts, did, do you think that led to you actually getting a, a regular gig on the series, like, well, within a year later of that one? How, how did that happen?
1: I, I can only imagine it did, because, you know, I didn't do uh any kind of really big tellies around that time certainly uh you know nothing more than like the odd episode of stuff so so yes so the casting department must have remembered me from from those performances and then um so I was quite you know quite surprised my agent rang me said oh you know you've been seen for a regular so I went and met um three of the producers and had a chat to them I think I had to read a little bit for them then and then um my agent called me uh, and said they want you to go back and do a screen test, and I'll, I'll never forget it because I think my agent rang me on might have been the Monday, and he said they're going to want to see you on on the Wednesday. So you know, go dressed you know in a smart suit, so say so you look the part and so on. And um, in fact, if I'd gone in t-shirt, I think the bill would have put me in some kind of gear anyway. But anyway, so so I'd got myself this suit and tie and shirt stuff ready, and. On the Tuesday, it was going to be the opening nights of a, a production of A Midsummer Night's Dream. I was doing, funnily enough, in Wimbledon at Canizaro Park Open Air Theatre. And I got a call from my agent in the middle of the afternoon saying, I've made a mistake. It's not tomorrow, it's today. Can you get down there now? Wow. So literally, I just threw this suit on, got on the, on the ground down to Wimbledon, went in, which I think maybe paid in my played in my favour slightly because I, I didn't have time to get nervous about it. So I kind of yeah. went in. I knew Clive Wedderburn because Clive and I had been at drama school together. So he was there. So I saw a friendly face straight away. And then Carl, Colin, dread with me uh, and C- Clive was saying to Carl, you know, be nice to him and all this sort of stuff, you know, oh. so- so I got to a little bit of an icebreaker with Carl. So that was great. Then let me go in front of another actor who obviously I, I arrived about three hours later or two hours late. That other actor was Gary Grant because Gary, oh. Gary said to me, oh, because I was saying Look, I've got to get off, you know, so I've got, you know, final rehearsal for the show. You know, just so he said, I'll oh, go in front of me. And that was Gary. Uh, and then I went and read with Carl. It was Jed McGuire, I think, who directed the little scene. And then I just didn't have time to think about it. I went out, then I was doing this play, and then it might have even been the next day I got a call from the agent and said, yeah, they've, they've offered you the role. So, so yeah, it's... Come- but completely out of the blue, as you say, I mean, I can only think it must have been those performances in, in guest roles that, that put me on the radar, so yeah. When I was on the bill, we had four units going at any one time, so, you know, you could, in theory, be on all four of them, you know, so there'd be eight episodes filming at once, so rare that you'd be in all eight episodes, but you could certainly be across all four units at times. You, you had to either learn your lines well in advance, which was my method, or be someone like Andy Paul, who used to literally, I think he used to literally turn on set and look at it once, do a line run... Bumble it through the first couple of rehearsals and then he'd be bang on it. And then he just, he, he's great because he could just forget it then, I think. Once he'd done it, it gone worse for me. It'd stay in the, the brain for a few days and then gradually get shoved to the back. But uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's um, yeah, it was a great, uh, great learning experience in that respect. Yeah. Am I right that Billy Murray took
0: you guys out? For dinner before you.
1: No, it, it was it was in the it was in it was in the Bill Canteen, um, and uh, he was working with Linda Sardi. I think she was playing his girlfriend. Wasn't right. She, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So obviously Billy was on his way out as we were on our way in. Yeah, and well, we just sat down to lunch with him one day, and um, it was great. You know, was very you know very friendly, and gave lots of great advice. The big one he sort of said he said you know if you're going to leave a show like this. If you want to be successful, you've got to leave with people remembering your name and not your your character's name. So if you've done that, then you've got you know a big chance to you know have a big career. So uh, I'm not sure. I imagine most people still remember me as Cullen rather than Jed Simmons. I don't know, but we'll see.
0: How about the character of Cullen? Like, what did you make of him? How well defined was he early on? And how similar are you to him? Do you think
1: he's not particularly like me? I mean, I'm I mean I'm quite you know I'm not a big sort of smiley, laughy person, but my sense of humour is very dry and and uh, a little bit cynical and sarcastic, so I'm a grummy, can't help it. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm, I think I'm a lot more playful than, than Alex. When I went to read for the producers and I had a quick look at the, the breakdown of the character, he was he was described as 33 and from East London. And I remember saying to him, do you want me to do an East London accent? I said, like, no, no, so just, just do your own voice. So, so, but obviously, you know, I was a bit older than him. The the big thing about him was that we didn't really know much about him other than that there was a secret and that he'd done something in his past that only Chandler really knew about. And Chandler had protected him, which meant that he was enthralled to Chandler. So Chandler had him under his thumb a little bit. So because of that, I kind of started off by playing him very like a closed book that he wasn't giving much away. Uh, and I kept going to the producers and even to uh, Richard Hanford, the executive producer, you know, not kept, but every now and then I'd go and say, So, do we know what Cullen's secret is? And they'll go, No, we haven't come to that. You know, we've got some other storylines we're working on, but, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, anyway. And eventually I went into Richard Hanford's office uh, one day and said, Well, what about if he's got a kind of a violent history, like he either killed or badly beat somebody up, arresting them or in custody or something like that? And Richard Anfield said, that's brilliant. Yeah, So said, let's, yeah, we'll, we'll run with that. So, so gradually, after that, you start seeing little flashes of a temper of, yeah. of Cullen, which hadn't been there before. It was kind of allowing me to kind of develop him a bit more as a character. Uh, and they had a storyline all prepared that this was all going to come out. You're going to see that side of him. I think he was going to have... You're going to see a relationship with his, I think it's going to be his ex-wife where again, he may or may, may not have been physically abusive to her, but certainly he's, you know, he had a violent temper with her and stuff. And that was going to be part of an ongoing story that happened just before Paul Marquez came in and he just, all storylines went out the window apart from things that were like halfway through. So so that story never got developed, unfortunately. So, um, which is a shame because it would have, you know, given me a, a bit, more, bit more scope to play with the character really.
0: The first time you we see so you you unload both barrels is to uh, Natalie Rolls in a scene where you Cullen says that you know you, this operation has gone tits up, hmm. and she says, "Oh yeah, it is disappointing." You say, "I don't think I'm getting through to you. I'm not disappointed. I'm livid." Yeah, yeah. And it's like, "Oh, here we go." You know <laughs> he's arrived. But also, something else you do, and I don't know if this was part of because I know police officers use this too is silence to intimidate but but like normally that's in interview scenes you actually do it with your sun hill colleagues when they walk into your office and you often just stare them out mm-hmm. and, and they don't know what's going to happen which is class and no one's ever done that before with people sure. walking because because it's quite an iconic office isn't it the di's office in the bill you know there's yeah, only yeah. a handful of actors who have owned that office, and that's your your space for two years. You're, that's pretty cool, I think.
1: Oh yeah, no, it's great. And I have to say, when when they did um, after the the explosion that saw you know the exit of, of about eight characters, wasn't it, I think? And they rebuilt all of CID, and and um, the set designers came and said, "Look, if you've got anything personal that you want to bring in, uh, you know, that, just to give it a personal touch, then do." and um... <laughs> I know it drove around two directors mad. I had a little drinking bird, one that kind of tips forward, and I put that kind of behind my desk. And uh, and I used to um, used to make sure it had some water in it. So remember one director was a guy like this this scene's not about the accent, it's just about the drinking. <laughs> I think you had to move it in the end, it was driving me mad. Some people loved it, some people loved it.
2: Hello, this is Ben Payton, and you have been listening to the Bell Podcast. Produced and presented by Oliver Crocker. Co-produced by Ben Adams, Dan Evans, Sarah Kuyper, Alex Mockler and Simon Wolfe. Executive produced by Glenn Allen, Ben Ashmore, Daniel Christopher, Alana Dewar, Andrew Dyack, Paul Dunn, George Fairbrother, Stuart Gibbon, Erin Gordon, Luke Hegarty, Edward Kellett, James Ledain, Lucy McNeil, Stuart and Jen Morris, Claire Norbury, Justin Pitt, Tom Sherrington, Angel Stannard, Patrick Stratford, Sarah Wendt, and Michael Weil. Brought to you in association with georgefairbrother.com and Misty Moon Events. Signed copies of Oliver Crocker's book, Witness Statements, are available from devonfirebooks.com.